welcome to the Fathom Academy podcast, a podcast designed for the people of Fathom Church to be resourced to go deeper with God. I'm Kyle Knight, and I'm the youth and digital minister here at Fathom. Thank you for listening in wherever you are. Uh, today, we are again joined by um, our special guest, our friend, Chris's friend. Said that first. Chris's <laughs> friend, uh, pastor at Foothills Fellowship Seminary professor, Denver Seminary professor, um, Ryan Tafalowski. Ryan, thank you for joining us again. Oh, hey guys, and hey, good people of Fathom. Really glad to be back with you. Um, we last episode we talked about child dedication. So if you haven't heard that, go back and listen to that first. Um, that was a that was a great conversation we had with um both Ryan and Pastor Chris, who is also here. Um about child dedications and the the importance of that. Uh, now we are going to be opening up opening up the can of baptism, and we're going to be talking about baptism um, on this episode. A lot to talk about. Um, so let, let's let's just get into it. As as we talked about child dedications last week, we're going to be talking about uh, baptism this week. So let's let's just start out with sort of. The differences, Ryan, if you could explain the differences between infant and believer's baptism. For those who just think baptism's baptism, what, what's the difference between infant and believer's baptism? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, Christian traditions approach baptism differently. There's a fair amount of diversity across the whole array of Christian traditions. So uh, from your charismatic or Pentecostal house church all the way to the very sort of high church expressions of Roman Catholicism or Greek Orthodoxy. You've got a wide array of views on baptism, but basically there are two prime approaches to baptism. Most Christian traditions, and I'm I'm not making an evaluative comment here. I'm just being descriptive. Most Christian traditions baptize infants and they see this as a way of covenanting the child into the people of God or marking them um, as God's people, as you get sort of in Presbyterianism or something like that, a little bit different in Roman Catholic or Greek Orthodox contexts where infant baptism is thought to cleanse the guilt of original sin, which would mean that a, an unbap- unbaptized child would not die in a state of grace. If they were to pass, they would, they would die in a state of condemnation. And then, you know, on the other end of the spectrum, you've got Christian traditions that are committed to believers baptism. This is sometimes called adult baptism, but I don't think that language is the best. I think what we're talking about here is people who can articulate uh, their their testimony of saving faith. And these are baptisms done uh, by immersion, typically, um, as a way of identifying with the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so um, I I would also add here, though, that there's, I think these are both expressions of legitimate Christian baptisms, whether of infants or of believers, although I am more convinced, and I'd like to hear more from Chris on this, but I am more convinced that the New Testament teaches believers baptism pretty clearly, um, but there's a wide array of views. Yeah, yeah. that's helpful. I think, um, and you're much more versed and well-versed and articulate in that, Ryan, to be able to describe that. Uh, I think it's really helpful to delineate between um some of the efficacious stuff that goes on in like your Roman Catholic or your Greek Orthodox traditions, yeah. um, as opposed to, not that they believe that the child is saved, but that they believe that there's actually something happening as opposed to an entrance into covenant community and interest into, um, which would then be confirmed at a confirmation later or, 
in, in other traditions. I think that's there. It's nice to have um, the infant baptism world kind of expanded beyond just, Hey, we sprinkle babies mm. or, you know, I've got some Anglican friends who dunk babies. So right. I mean, that's hardcore, right. uh, but it's like a bath. So yeah, they're not messing around. No, they don't mess around. <laughs> they, they want to, they want immersion with their infant baptisms. Um, but then I do think you're, you're also right to point out that, um, even on the Baptistic scale, the believer's baptism scale, we begin to enter into, um, a lot of variance and shades within that from people who believe that baptism is salvific. You know, you are not saved until you are baptized. People who believe that you must be baptized into a certain church and that other baptisms are illegitimate. Right. Um, people who believe in a quote, baptism of water and a baptism of spirit, that they are two um, identifiably different events, sometimes simultaneous, but but often mm. two separate events. Um, and, and then people who just believe that it's like, you know what, you squirt somebody with a super soaker at youth camp and it just, you do whatever you want. Uh, so I think it's really important to say there's a lot of different ways even believer's baptism can be practiced. And I think there are better and I think there are significantly worse practices within uh, the spectrum. And I'm just kind of, you know, shooting from the hip as to some of those. Um, I'm sure there are more, but that's really helpful to just say, hey, it's not just two categories. There's actually a a, a widespread mm. uh, kind of mass of thought around baptism. And it has been, if not the most, one of the most divisive issues, I think, in church mm. history for the, the, the local church. Oh, absolutely. If you go back to the time of the Reformation, uh, some of you listening may be familiar with the, the term Anabaptist. The Anabaptist tradition was one of the more radical movements within the Reformation, as opposed to like Anglicanism or Lutheranism or Calvinism. And Anabaptists were persecuted by other Protestants because they would they would uh, rebaptize people who had been baptized as infants. That's actually what the name Anabaptist means, rebaptizer. Um, and so, yeah, as Chris says, this has been a source of some controversy for Protestants. Uh, dating back to the 16th century. And so I think it is important that we we think hard about this topic mm -hmm. and try to mm -hmm. sort out what we see to be the most biblical view about baptism, but also being able to recognize other views with a, some degree of charity, mm -hmm. I think is really critical. Yeah. Um, so one of the questions we have here is what is, what's the argument to not baptize infants? I can start and then yeah. hand over to you. Um, I think there's two two basic ways to approach this question. You've got arg negative arguments, you might say, mm -hmm. and that just simply means you don't have any explicit reference to to infants being baptized anywhere in the New Testament. You do have some stories that seem to indicate that infants might have been baptized. In the book of Acts, for instance, you have families converting to Christian faith. And it's told that we're told that their entire household was baptized. That presumably involves children. We're just never told explicitly. So you can make a sort of negative argument that way. But for me, the more convincing arguments are, I think, positive or constructive arguments. Mm -hmm. And here we might ask, what do we think baptism is doing? And I think a good place to go is a place like Romans 6, where Paul seems to be indicating that when someone is baptized, what they're doing is identifying with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The old sinful nature or, or the flesh, the desires of the flesh are being crucified and they are being buried with Jesus and we are being raised to new life. That's 
the vision of baptism he gives us in that chapter, I think it's quite consistent with how he talks about baptism in other places. But I think that's the key place to go, which is why in my tradition we baptize by immersion because the actual mode of baptism matches the theology where it is symbolic of being uh, buried when you are dipped under the water and it's symbolic of being raised to new life when you're raised out. So it's a really a death and resurrection sort of thing. And I'm just convinced theologically that an infant can't identify with the death and resurrection of Jesus in that way. So to me, that's the most compelling argument for believers baptism, but I'd be really happy to hear from. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's right. I think it's, I think it's a, uh, a response driven by theology Mm. rather than kind of explicit texts, uh, in, in, and, and, you know, for, um, for those who argue infant baptism, they've got history on their side. Mm -hmm. So they've got, you know, three times the history that, that Protestants do in terms of, uh, practice. Um, but, uh, I think theology drives that, that conversation. I also, I also think, uh, at least certain uh, expressions of infant baptism will will kind of want to use that as um, the New Testament version of circumcision, mm. uh, identifying in a covenant people. Um, not, not again, not that that assures salvation, uh, but that uh, you are baptized into uh, the covenant people of of God, into the church, uh, and uh, you are part of the visible church, and they then would. Um, would pray and hope and disciple and catechize towards becoming a part of the invisible church, a, a, a regenerate, um, believing Christian at a later date. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, I would, I would agree theologically. Um, I think uh, well, we practice uh, believers baptism. We are um, not, not going to baptize infants at fathom. Um, the way I've explained it that I think is helpful just, um, as an illustrative, in an illustrative kind of way, uh, is is uh, we we talk about the sacraments or the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper as uh, outward expressions of inward realities. That's kind of the the one of the textbook definitions of of these things. And uh, baptism is an ordinance or a sacrament. It is uh, an outward display of something that has gone on internally. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I always point to my red my wedding ring. Uh, I'm wearing wedding ring. Uh, so that Marcy, uh, well, I'm not, yeah, because it's a good thing. never trust a guy who doesn't, but, um, <laughs> and if you don't get you a wedding ring, but the wedding ring is not my marriage, but it is an outward, mm. uh, display of an inward reality. That is, I am a taken man, mm. right. Uh, that I'm not on the market, that I'm not available, but that I am in covenant relationship with Marcy Martin. And that's, that that and and baptism, I think, is is that as well. It is a public display. It is an outward display to you, and actually, I think to your church. I mean, I think it's a I think it's best practiced in the church. I think there's some outliers that we can we can d- dive into, but it is an outward expression of the inward reality that yes, I have I have been buried with Christ. I've been raised to walk in the newness of life, and so I go to that watery grave. And it's not like the old kind of, you know, revivalist, get your sins mm. washed away. Your mm. sins are already washed away. Mm. They are washed under the regenerance, uh, regeneration of your heart through the Holy Spirit. But then you identify publicly with Christ mm. in, in your baptism. You, you die in the watery grave and you are raised to walk. Yeah, I think on that point, it's worth mentioning too, that the word, you know, we talk about the word sacrament. Well, that comes from the Latin word sacramentum which as the Protestant reformers argued in the 16th century, the primary meaning of that word in Latin, it's actually quite interesting, 
is an oath of allegiance that a soldier took when signing up for military service. So the reformers came to see baptism as a way of outwardly expressing your allegiance, your loyalty to the cause of Christ, which is another good argument, I think, for believers' baptism, that what you're doing here, as Chris says, is you're making a public declaration, not only to God, but to your community, that you are enlisting in Jesus's ranks, if you can put it that way. Um, There's something really powerful about the outward act, which signifies a change in your allegiances from the the powers of death and darkness and destruction into the newness of life. Yeah. Okay. We kind of, Ryan, you kind of hinted on this a little bit earlier, but let, I want to kind of ask a question about rebaptism and, and, what does the Bible say about rebaptism about somebody, you know, somebody might be listening saying, I, I was baptized as an infant. I was baptized as a kid. Um, I, I need to go get baptized again. Like, Oh, that's something I, 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 I need to do again, or should I be doing that? So what is, what is this whole rebaptism thing? And what, what does the scriptures have to say about it? He asked you. Uh, well, my, I will ask both of you. No, <laughs> my sense is the scriptures are actually silent on it. Um, and I don't know, Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, but I can't really think of anywhere where this becomes an issue. I mean, you're seeing the first generation of Christians, of course, so there's not a lot of history to go on in the New Testament. I will say historically, rebaptism has not been a common practice. Uh, and it was, in fact, a controversial fra- practice during the age of the Reformation. But pastorally, Chris and I were chatting a little bit about this earlier. I think that, say, if you were baptized as an infant, I think that you can regard that as a legitimate baptism. And I say that because even though baptism is something that we do, I think it is also a place where God meets us. Mm-hmm and claims us in our baptism. And so do you have to be rebaptized? I I don't know that I would say that. Although I I also hold out the possibility that if you just are very convicted as a matter of conscience that baptism is something you feel you should do to renew that sort of commitment or to to compensate for something that was done mm-hmm. to you that you you were not really conscious of. I I I think that's perfectly acceptable too. Yeah. So I, I, and and I'm going to come from Ryan was better at the theological side of that. Um, let me just tell you practically from a pastoral perspective, how I would look at this. So I was baptized as an infant in the Roman Catholic church, um, because my mother was raised in the Roman Catholic church had long since departed Mm. being a practicing Catholic and, um, and had me, christened or baptized mm-hmm. uh, as an infant for one of two reasons, depending on the day. Uh, one was uh, her mother really wanted me, you know, so appease, appease grandma mm-hmm. or number two, to protect me just in case yeah. uh, there's this original sin thing that until you have an, some sort of age of accountability, you know, just in case I died in infancy that I'm mm-hmm. somehow covered um, almost a superstitious sort of baptism. So um, when I, uh, became a born again Christian. I wasn't raised in the church, but I became a born again Christian at age 16. Uh, I got baptized 
I was at a believer's baptism. I was in Israel. I was baptized in the Jordan River. I never so, knew that. Yeah, man. So yours counts way more than I was wow, baptized yeah. in a dusty old basement. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I, I mean, there's a hot tub. Yeah. You guys both have really sad <laughs> baptisms. Uh, we can rebaptize y'all if you are interested. Uh, but I've got a horse trough that is yeah. available. Only if you import Jordan River water. I've got some. I've got okay. some. But um, but I, I say all of that to say I, I, I would practice that with anybody because I don't believe that what I experienced as an infant was a baptism. Yeah. I don't think it was for me. I don't think it was even for my parents. I don't think that was their intent. Uh, um, now, the, then the question becomes, all right, well, what about the, you know, hey, I was baptized at age seven, then I was baptized mm-hmm. at age 14. And then, you know, I, I, you know, went to college and partied for a couple of years mm-hmm. and then came back to the church. Should I get baptized again? Just ready to do um, it again. Again, it comes back to what, what do you believe baptism mm-hmm. is? Well, that's closer to my experience. I was baptized when I was 10. Um, Certainly a believer able to articulate my faith, but looking back now, I mean, would I articulate my faith the same way? Almost certainly not, right? Does that mean it was not valid? I would also say certainly not. Yeah. Uh, Well, and that's why I, I would again say baptism is the first step of obedience for a born again Christian. It's the first thing that a born again Christian does. Uh, and this is why prolonging a, uh, you know, being baptized doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. If you are born again, if you are legitimately, uh, submitting your life under the Lordship, uh, and, uh, the saving grace of Christ. Um, but it also then kind of moot, makes a moot point out of a second baptism after a genuine profession of faith baptism. Um, because, uh, it doesn't matter what you know now, and it and it really didn't matter how little you knew then. If you love and profess Christ, it, profess love and, and devotion to Christ, you have confessed and repented of your sins and have accepted His free gift of grace. Then the next step is to be baptized, is to go to the watery grave and to publicly identify with Christ. Um, and, and there's no need to delay. There's no need to belabor that issue. Go get baptized. Um, and and then you will be able to look back at that baptism as your theology progresses, as your discipleship progresses, as the moment when Christ saved you and you publicly affirmed that, um, as opposed to, oh, you know, I know so much more now. Like, yeah, I know so much more now. Mm -hmm. And guess what? Every person in the Bible who's baptized, in the New Testament who's baptized, if they don't, if you don't know more after your baptism, Mm -hmm. uh, you're in serious, serious trouble. Mm. It's called progressive sanctification, right? So, um, but biblically i'm compelled especially looking at the the book of acts that the first step as soon as you have uh professing faith in christ well here's some water you know let's get baptized the 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 eunuch the ethiopian eunuch yeah. you know what let's just let's just get this guy dunked uh peter's vision with cornelius what 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 what, what would cause me to withhold water for baptism here i mean often and on and on i could go um baptism seems to be the first step of obedience for those who are who believe and profess faith in Christ. Yeah, I'm glad you you raised Philip in the Ethiopian eunuch because every once in a while you'll hear a question, and I think it's a good question. I understand where it's coming from. Do I have to do something to prepare to be baptized first? Um, I think there are multiple ways to answer that question, but the the Acts accounts, as you say, seem to indicate. I mean, one minute, the eunuch is sitting in his chariot. He's trying to read Isaiah. He doesn't really have any idea what's going on. He has a conversation with Philip. We don't know how long, but it's not like he went through a three-month training class. (laughs) 
and he comes to this realization that Jesus is the one that this prophet has been talking about. He's the one who makes sense of reality. He's the one who makes sense of his world. And the first question he asks is, here's some water. What is preventing me from being baptized? I think often we, we are sort of are the opposite. We say, well, what about all these obstacles that keep mm-hmm. me from being baptized? Mm-hmm. It's almost the eunuch completely flips that paradigm on its head and says, if Jesus is who he says he is, then what prevents me from, from taking this first act of following him, uh, which is baptism. Yeah. I, my next question was talking about spontaneous baptism versus prepared baptism. Yeah. Well, so, and Ryan can speak to the historicity of this. Um, but I remember vaguely from either CCU or Denver seminary talking about the, the catechism process, especially yeah. in the first four to five centuries of the church where mm. super intense, super intense. You, you, I mean, you earned your baptism, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, they say that for Thanksgiving, you got to earn the bird. You got to do a, like a workout in the morning. <laughs> like they earned their baptism. I've like, never once yeah. done that. Well, I know you that. haven't, but, <laughs> yeah. um, but they, I mean, they had to go through an intense vetting process and that might have some uh, historical, I mean, Roman, Roman culture, uh, oppression, per- persecution. There might be some, some other layers on that. Um, but I'm, I've gone back and forth on the spontaneous versus prepared. And I today, and I reserve the right to change my theology as the Lord reveals things and deepens me. But today I sit here thinking that I'm a proponent of uh, spontaneous baptism as long as uh, there is a genuine and identifiable profession of faith. Um, So if somebody were to come up, if we had the baptismal set up, you know, we have to kind of prepare because we have to fill the tank. But, um, but if, if, if somebody showed up that day got saved and, and, and came to me after church and was like, Hey man, I just accepted Christ. I, I don't know anything, but man, I want to follow Jesus with the rest of my life. I've just, I confessed my sin. I, you know, like I prayed to receive Christ. I, w- I would say, okay, let's, let's get you wet. Um, I feel like that, that, that is better now hear me. I think there's also real wisdom, especially when we start talking about our children. Mm-hmm. I think there's real wisdom in, um, delaying. Okay. Now that's a whole nother question is at what age should I have my child Mm -hmm. baptized? And I would just say you, I I've told as a youth pastor and I tell people now as the pastor of the church, uh, you, you might regret doing it too early Mm. when it comes to children, you might regret doing it too early. Um, if you are, you know, a teenager or older though, and you love and serve Jesus, I say, what are you waiting for? If you haven't gotten wet yet and what prevents you? Yeah. Yeah, this is a really tricky question because in the New Testament, sim- uh, spontaneous baptism seems to be the norm. I mean, we're not really told about what the interval is between when people hear the gospel because Acts moves at a very swift pace, of course, right? Mm-hmm. They heard the gospel. They believed they were baptism. That's the formula you usually hear. Um, but as Chris mentioned, pretty early on in Christian history, by the end of the second century, you're getting very long periods of catechesis where people uh, want want to be baptized and the church says, cool, how about you train for three years and then we'll see. <laughs> but how much of that is, that's my question, is yeah. how much of that is, is kind of spurned by the Roman persecution and almost like a needing to protect the inner sanctum a little bit? Oh, I think there's certainly a, a lot to that. You know, we, ha- we have this image of persecution under the Romans where 
I don't know, like when I was in middle school, you guys remember DC Talk, like Jesus Freaks, right? And there was like a little book that went with it. Chris oh, wasn't yeah. a Christian at this point, which is probably for the best because he missed out on this. Uh, but like, Too you bad li- for you, man. Yeah, you so, listen to I've Jesus. I've heard the song, though. <laughs> you listen to Jesus Freaks and you're like, oh man, like Romans, like we're beheading Christians like every day on every street corner. That's not really true. Persecution tended to wax and wane. It was more intense in some places and less intense in others. But it is broadly true to say to become a Christian, say, in the year 200 in Rome was a much more serious proposition than it is to become a Christian in, in Littleton in 2021, in the sense that there's a lot more at stake socially. Yeah. And so there's probably a lot of truth to the idea that you can't afford to have basically people who are signing up for something they have no idea what they're getting into. There's just too much at mm-hmm. stake for the community. So I think part of it is historical. Um, and cultural. And I also think part of it was theological. Um, again, these folks in the third century, I think probably have a different understanding of what baptism, baptism is doing than we do in our context at Foothills or Fathom, where there is some sort of tangible grace being transferred and it Mm -hmm. is cleansing the guilt of original sin. So there's a lot more going on, but all that is to say, long story short, the biblical evidence suggests one thing, and then there's a historical argument to be considered too. And to throw another wrench into that that question also is um, there's a practical pastoral piece to this as well. Mm. And so now I'm going to make the argument against spontaneous baptism is what happens uh, in a flurry of emotion mm. uh, yeah. can quickly be perceived as genuine faith um, and somebody gets baptized rather quickly, maybe day of or very quickly thereafter. Um, and that maybe that profession of faith is not genuine. And so, uh, there is wisdom in some traditions of saying, Hey, let's slow roll this count the cost. Let's count the cost. That's right. We just, I mean, goodness preaching that going through the gospel of Matthew right now. Mm. Um, and count the cost and, uh, at whatever level is reasonable, ensure that that profession of faith is genuine mm-hmm. uh you know so guarding essentially mm. false baptisms from happening uh that, that and and churches with high ecclesiology baptistic churches with high ecclesiology yeah. um and baptistic churches will then also link whether one can take the lord's supper to whether one has been baptized i mean so there's lots of um theological and practical and pastoral and ecclesiological uh, veins that kind of run out mm-hmm. of how you practice baptism. Uh, that's all the questions I had. Is there, I'm looking at you, pastor Chris, mm-hmm. is there anything else, um, that, that we're missing about baptism that we need to talk about? Um, my plea is this, if you believe in Jesus, if you follow Jesus, if you have given your life to Jesus, Jesus, if he has saved you, um, I think you should be baptized. That That's what I would say. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think we have probably people in our church who are like, well, well, you know, junk, I've been following Jesus for 10 years and I've never been baptized and now it's too late. Mm. I would say no. Yeah. I think you ought to because it is the first step of obedience. And even if it's, hey, I never realized it was a, an obedience step. And so I'm taking that now. That is still a good witness. Um, to what it means to follow Christ. Um, yeah, and just to piggyback off that, sometimes you'll hear the question, well, do I need to be baptized to be saved? 
Hmm. I would say no, but again, I would say, is that the right question? Right? <laughs> We've been talking about this. I, I know I'm, I sound like a broken record, but baptism in Paul's theology is the way into the life of God. It is the way that you join into life in the spirit. It is the way to use the language he uses in Colossians one, that you are transferred from the domain of darkness to the domain of light, the kingdom of the son whom he loves. Mm -hmm. The way to being in Christ is through his death and resurrection. And the way that we do that is in baptism. Yeah. So can you live your whole life as a Christian and not get baptized? Sure. Hmm. But my question would be like, why, why would you want to? Right. Well, what prevents you? Right. I think the Unix question is the best question, right? What prevents me from doing this? Mm. Um, hopefully that's consistent with what you would think. Though. Totally. I'm talking yeah. to your folks here. Yeah. So, yeah. So yeah, if people want to be baptized, let's, we'll fill up the let's tank. Do it. I mean, we'll do it. Yeah. We did it in the snow. We'll do it in the sun. It doesn't matter to me. We did. Yeah. So if you're listening to this and you want to get baptized, contact Pastor Chris, one of us, and, and, and we'll do it. Well, um, that's all I've got. Uh, thank you both so much for talking about baptism. I know it's a very super, super important thing to talk about, and I'm sure you can keep talking about it for, for hours and hours, but that's all the time we have. Uh, thank you again, Ryan, for being here, for being a part of this. Um, thank you, church, for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Mm -hmm.